Um, and so I think, I think that's all for announcements. And so now if you join me either on the back of your bulletins or up on the screen, uh, we're going to be reading from Ephesians 6 today, verses 10 through 13. So Joel was very on point. Um, I'll give you a moment to find that in your Bibles. And here we are, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Please pray with me. Uh, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this community and this church. Uh, thank you for generously pouring out your Holy Spirit upon this community. And we pray that you would forever remain uh, the head of this church, that you would remain the cornerstone of our community here, uh, that you would soften our hearts toward one another and fill our, fill our spirits with grace, grace for each other, um, the grace, the accepting the grace that you give to us. So Lord, this morning we pray that you'd be with Brian as he speaks, give him insight, um, give him articulation to, to share what you've put on his heart for the week, uh, Lord, and give us the same, that we can receive what he has to say and apply it to our lives, and uh, just allow you in, Lord, and allow your Holy Spirit to do its work. Uh, so we love you this morning. We pray in particular over this, these verses. Um, we know that there's evil in the world, Lord, and so we thank you that you are our guardian and our protector. We thank you that your name is a strong tower to us, and we love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. All right, that was a lot of announcements. If you have any questions at all about any of those things, Amanda is the person to ask. She knows uh, everything that's going on here, so just about everything. So thank you, Amanda, for all your help. Uh, last Sunday was um, just a very meaningful Sunday for me personally, and I just wanted to share that with you all just, just briefly. Um, it was just, it was good for my heart with uh, Heather and Tony and Todd up here leading worship with um, John was here and, and Nick, and I think Dave played too, but it was, it was like a reunion of uh, good things for my soul, and I just enjoyed that. Um, but then I also just particularly was encouraged by um, by the testimonies that people shared last week, and if you were not here, I think they were recorded, I'm not sure, you could check those out, but um, there's a lot of boldness to come up here and speak from your heart about what Jesus Christ has done to your life. That, that's, that's unique, and so it was encouraging, and the honesty to, to, to speak from your heart and be honest about life, um, it was just tremendously encouraging. And then also then walking down to the beach and, and doing a baptism together, where people are saying to the world that I live for Christ and he's changed my heart and I'm doing this external thing to show people that that's who I belong to. It's my life now. This morning, I, I want to talk about something and it, it's not um, like super fun and super great and super happy and encouraging, but it's just so important. And, and we know that if you're um, a parent or you have responsibility in life, the life just isn't always just fun and cheerful and happy and good all the time. And what I want to do is I want to draw your attention, I want to show you from the Gospels, um, from the life of Christ, that 
in two different places, immediately after spiritual high points, he encountered darkness. He encountered spiritual darkness. Number one was his baptism. Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. It, it's, it's a spiritual highlight. It was just meaningful. Immediately after that, he is led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Another time is um, something that we refer to as the Sermon on, oh, excuse me, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, where James and John and, and Peter go up and have this mountaintop experience. Jesus says to them, hey, guys, hike up this mountain and let's go pray together. And it's just this moving experience you can read in the Gospels. You know what happens next? It says the next day, or right after that, he casts out a demon from a boy who is on the ground in convulsions and foaming at the mouth. And he brings healing to him. And so, I think we have to be aware, and this is, if I can put my whole sermon in one little thing, we have to be alert. We have to be aware, in tune, that there are invisible, evil spirits that want to pull you away from Christ, that, that want to distract you and deceive you and trick you and pull you away. I'll tell you this, that I, I don't like conflict. That it's not, um, it's not something that I enjoy. And if there is conflict, I just, I, for me personally, I just want to deal with it so it goes away. Because I, I like peace. I like to live in harmony. And one of the most important things I think you need to know as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, is that we are in a conflict. We are in a battle. We are in a fight. And you might say, I don't want to fight. You have no option. You, you just don't. You, you have to fight. That is the Christian life. And um, if you want to survive, you have to understand the enemy. You have to understand um, from the passage that we read this morning that we are to be strong in the Lord, first and foremost. That it's not about my strength or my ability or my confidence. It's finding your strength in the Lord. And that the enemy is real and wants to hurt I think um, probably one of the most difficult things of being a pastor is knowing people that you love, you care about, and see them walk away from Christ. And I don't want that to happen to specifically any of the people that were baptized last week or to any of you. But those of you that this is your church home know that the people that were baptized last week there is a fight going on now because the enemy does not like that. Now we want apathy. We want indifference. We want distraction. We want all of these things to pull us away from Christ. <clears throat> I'm not, um, I'm not a uh, huge reader on military warfare, but I came across this book, and I didn't read the whole book. I read parts of it. But the book was written... Um, a couple hundred years after the Apostle Paul writes his letter to the Ephesians. So it's this ancient book written by a Roman gentleman named um, Vegetius, and he wrote a book called Mili Concerning Military Matters. And this is just interesting. Paul writes, and he talks about um, this armor, and we'll talk about that um, more next week, but he talks, he gives, he's talking about a Roman soldier. So 
What were Roman soldiers like? And here's what this guy says. This is written in the 4th century. He says this, Victory in war does not depend entirely on numbers or mere courage. Only skill and discipline will ensure it. So he's saying you can have a huge army full of courageous guys, but if they don't have skill and discipline, you're going to lose. He goes on and says this, The Romans owed the conquest of the world to no other cause than their continual training. Exact observance of discipline in their camps and unwearied cultivation of other arts of war. He said this, Idleness and sloth were punished. So Rome, most powerful military in the world, the Apostle Paul writes and says, hey, just capture this. In a metaphorical sense, understand the nature of this, that there's something going on, and it's, it might be different than you think. I think the year was 1973, the movie Exorcist was released, and I am... Uh, maybe thankfully, too, too young to recall it. So you probably have to be, I know this is in most of our church, but like 50 or over to remember when it was released. But what I found out this week is that, and, and the movie is about, um, I believe it's about a child who is demon-possessed and they tried to um, remove the demon from her. The movie um, adjusted for time and money is, um, I think it's the ninth most um, popular movie or created the most amount of wealth in the history of movies. <clears throat> and what it did, though, is it created a perception. And that's, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a horror movie, so it's not, it's not something that's pleasant to watch at all, but hugely popular. And it created an understanding, it created a, a perception of the evil world that I think is partially true, just very partially true. <clears throat> And so what we have to understand <clears throat> this morning, and I think it's on your bulletin, and, and we'll go through these kind of quickly. <clears throat> we have to understand that there is not always a material reason for the problems of this world. It's human nature to think, if this person has cancer, they must have smoked. They must have done this. They must have done it. We, our minds go to natural causes. If I'm having relationship problems, it's because my dad treated me this way. If I have this situation, it's because of my past. It's because people treat me. And I think we have to, if we understand Scripture carefully and, and correctly, we have to know this, that there's a spiritual dimension to the world that participates with the brokenness of the world. There is a spiritual dimension, a dark spiritual dimension, that participates and partners with the brokenness of the world. And therefore, Paul says in his writing that we must be aware, we must understand. And so let's spend a little bit of time this morning looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says this, and we'll, we'll break it up. Number one is this, is that we have to know our enemy. Verse 12 says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. He says in verse 11 um, that there are schemes of the devil. And so what we know 
First of all, is that this evil spirit that the Bible talks about, his name is the devil, and that is referred to, or his, his name means the deceiver. But we see here, in, in, in commentators, and I read a lot this week, there, there are, these are difficult words to translate and to fully understand. And what he's saying is that there is a fight, it's flesh and blood, but it's also spiritual, there's cosmic powers, this present darkness, there's spiritual forces that are a part of our world. And we have to be aware that the enemy is extremely powerful. In these descriptive words, ruler, authority, cosmic power, dark spiritual forces. And it says this, Paul says this, that the enemy likes to fight. And the word here is wrestle. Let me lighten this up a little bit. I was at a parent meeting this week, or no, excuse me, a couple weeks ago. And uh, I was talking to a parent, and this particular parent was, uh, what, it was a close talker. <laughs> and, and we're talking, and, and he, he's getting close. So if, you could, if we could like fast forward like snaps of the conversation, I, I probably, probably like literally started like over here, and it, it was like this. Because he kept getting closer. And I didn't know, I didn't know, keep going. It's just like, so over time, I was like, I was like, started bumping into things. Part of me, though, and I didn't do this, but part of my nature was like, at some point, I wanted to take a step forward and like, like push the awkwardness back to him, but I didn't do it. I, it's, it's a little bit, un, I don't know if you're like me, if you're a close talker, you're like, you need to stop that maybe, because it's hard for people. At least you, people like me, it's hard. We don't know what to do with you. We want to be nice. But here's what the word means. Here's what the word means. Paul writes this, he says, for we, we do not wrestle, and the word wrestle is hand-to-hand. It's close. He's grabbing your wrist. It's, 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 a, it's a metaphor for being uncomfortable. And I know, I'm like you, I just like to be comfortable. I, uh, wrestling and getting that close to people, it's just it's not comfortable. And so here's what we know about the enemy. Number one, as we said, he's powerful. Number two, he wants to get close to you. He wants to wrestle. He wants to fight. It's hand to hand. It means it's a struggle. It means it's not easy. The devil works in ways to slander, to attack, and two primary ways that he works is, is temptation and accusation that the enemy will use temptation in this way, that you have too high of a view, you have too confident of a view of yourself, and the devil hides God's holiness. In temptation, the devil will hide God's holiness. In accusation, you have too low of a view of yourself. that He accuses you of things, and he hides God's love. Think about that for a moment. Temptation, accusation. Hiding God's holiness, hiding God's love. To bring discouragement, to pull you away. So the enemy is powerful. He's close. 
He uses temptation. He uses accusation. Number two, the tactics. Paul says this in verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may, be, you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The word schemes here is it's, the, we, it's a Greek word, and we get the word method from the Greek word. So here's what we need to know. Satan is not impulsive. He is thoughtful. He wins at chess. He will beat you in chess. He has strategies, he has methods, he has goals. He has a way of doing something to deceive. He's crafty, he plans deception. He has a well-planned out attack with supernatural evil on his side. So we have to be alert, we have to understand. And I know, I don't even like... I don't even like talking about this. You're, wait, because if I'm like switching places with you, you're saying to me, some guy is standing up here on a stage saying to me that there's an invisible evil force that is planning my destruction. That just sounds too far-fetched. Think about this for a moment. How do we deal with evil in the world? What, what, what is the source? What is... The cause. I, I, I read this week um, a part of a book by a professor from Columbia University, and I think the title of it is The, the Death of Satan. Guy's not a Christian, secular humanist, liberal guy, and, and he wrote a book about um, how invisible evil is fading in our culture. And he, he refers to the movie and the book um, Silence of the Lamb. And he, he talks about the exchange, now forgive me of the character missing the names, but between Hannibal Lecter and the FBI detective. And the FBI detective is questioning this evil person, looking for some rational explanation of how this man is so evil. And all he said back to her was something the effect of, I just am. I just exist. I just am evil. And it leaves her confused. And the Bible, the Bible has an explanation. It has an understanding of the depth of darkness. And it says this, that the world that we live in is broken. That the human heart has a natural bent towards darkness. And that there are invisible evil forces that participate with the brokenness of the world. And so, the enemy uses tactics well-thought-out tactics, planned attacks. To do what? To pull you away from Christ. To create discouragement in your life. One uh, scholar, theologian named Clint, Ar Clint Arnold said this. He said, the idea is that the devil is an intelligent being that carefully strategizes plans against the church, against God's plan of redemption, and individual believers. An intelligent being that carefully strategizes. How does it work? Well, the Apostle Paul in his writing to the letter says this, that there are things that happen that give the enemy an opportunity. Chapter 4, verse 25, verses 25 through 32 talk about this. Another, it says this, let's just read it and, and then I'll, we'll explain it just for one second. So if you have your Bible, turn back one page. 
And it says this, chapter 4, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give and give no opportunity for the devil. And then I read this this week from one of my commentaries from a guy named Peter O'Brien, and he said this, within the flow of context of what I just read, the context of prohibitions against a range of sin suggests that the devil is able to exploit any of these and not just anger. So here's how the brokenness of humanity participates, where flesh and blood participates. And here is, the, we won't read the full passage, but here are the things that Paul's talking about. He's talking about anger. He's talking about lying. He's talking about stealing. He's talking about unwholesome talk that comes out of our mouths. He's talking about your old way of life. That those things create opportunities for the enemy to get into our lives. Well, where does this fight happen? Does it happen on movie sets like The Exorcist where there are spinning heads and green vomit? Well, maybe. But I think the enemy is more strategic and more thoughtful than that. Because look at the context. One of the things that they teach you in seminary, I'll give you the, uh, the free version here, as they say, when you study the Bible, always study things in context. Don't take things out of context. Understand the setting. So, Paul writes this talk of the spiritual warfare towards the end of his book. What about the preceding verses? What are the preceding verses about? The preceding verses are about everyday life. It's just about everyday life. Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1, he says that we are to walk in love. Walk is just a metaphor for, just, for doing life together. And then, here are some specific things. He talks about sexual immorality. He talks about out-of-place desires. He talks about the power of words. He talks about husband-wife relationships. He talks about children. He talks about work. And then he talks about spiritual warfare. I think one of the things we have to be most alert to is understanding that the enemy works in everyday life and how we treat each other, how husbands treat wives, how wives treat husbands, how we function. So if Paul says we are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, then the antithesis of that is that we live life our own ways. We go our own way. We do our own thing. And it's just these little compromises, these daily little losses, daily losses that gradually build up to bitterness, that create hardness over our hearts, gradual little daily losses that build up resentment, that build up a negative, critical spirit. And that's why when Paul writes this at the end of this book, he uses very strong language. And that's how we'll finish this morning. How, how, do, we, how do we do life? I still kind of, kind of get over it. It's still kind of creepy just even saying publicly that there are invisible evil things that don't like you or me and want to cause you harm. But I believe we're naive if we think 
that all of the evil in this world exists because of humanity alone. And so Paul says this, how do we do this? How do we do life? And he says this, to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And here's just a couple interesting things that are worth it for us to like to press down into our heart. Number one is that the grammar of these verses is that it's in the passive voice, which means you, just, you receive it. You don't earn it. You, 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 you talk to God and you receive it. You ask him to give you strength. That the strength is outside of you. That it comes into your life. It comes into your heart. That you can't do the Christian life on your own. That the strength comes from the Lord Jesus. Here's what's interesting. That one of the things that you would see as you study this, but this phrase, to be strong in the Lord, has a connection with God's love for you. Chapter 3, verse 18, I think we have this on the, on the screen. Let me show you this connection from a previous part in his passage. This is Paul writing earlier in his letter. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. It's almost identical to what he's saying here. So all of this stuff that can distract you, that can pull you away, is overcome when you do this. When you trust, when you believe, when your faith is strong and your roots grow down into God's love. That's what will keep you strong. That's what overcomes. That's what gives you strength. That's what you trust in. Not yourself. That's not, that we, we don't live in fear. We live in confidence because of that. So, how do we do this? How do we live this out? We find our strength in the Lord, and that means that your heart grows deep roots into God's love. And then Paul says this, the strength of his might. That has to do with the power of resurrection. That's resurrection power. That is the, the power of God bringing a dead body to life. That the body of Jesus Christ was laying dead, beaten and bruised, holes in his body, and the power of God brings it to life. That is what is available to us. Some scholars believe that this phrase was taken from uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26, which says this. This is a beautiful verse. Isaiah wrote this, Look up into the heavens, who created the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by his name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. The Apostle Paul is saying there is overpowering power that is available to us. There is sustaining power that you can live life with this power so there's this love and there's this power that Paul says depend on, build your life on, deepen your trust on. Well, how do we think through this? How do we press this into our life even more deeply? Number one is this, just a short list of things to help us press this strength and power and love into our lives. Is that when you become a Christian, your life is brought together with Christ. That your life is now one with Christ. Paul writes in chapter 2, he says this, You were once far away, 
but now you have been brought near by the blood of Christ, that your life is one. You are in Christ. Paul writes over and over and over again in his letters that that is who you are. Number two, the promise of God is found with a precedent. That this promise here, this command to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, is not just this one-time thing. When you look throughout the Bible, and here's just one of my favorites. It says this in Deuteronomy chapter 31. It says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Christians are to live with this, this humble confidence knowing that God promises to be there with you. That our life is intrinsically connected with Christ. Number three, you are meant to know this. You are meant to believe it. You are meant to depend on it. But you are meant to experience it. There is a difference between knowing something and experiencing something. One way to think about this is even is, um, in a romantic relationship or with your husband or your wife. If your wife or husband says something like, I love you, they've said that to you and you believe it, but then if they do something special and you get to like, experience it, it changes those words and those words become more meaningful. I... Um, I took a trip uh, a couple weeks ago to, to go up visit my mom up in the, the Seattle area. And flying home, I had a flight from Los Angeles to L.A., and it was great. At the last second, because of the smoke, uh, we had to do a detour in San Francisco. And, and Scott has told me on more than one occasion, Brian, avoid San Francisco at all costs, if at all possible, because it's just crazy. And I was kind of like, yeah, 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 I, like I believe you. Well, we landed at San Francisco Airport, and we wa I walked off the plane, and immediately, so if you can just like, imagine this tent, but, like tripling the amount of people in the tent, it was like, it was crazy. It was pure, it was like people everywhere, and get people getting grumpy, and people cussing and yelling at flight attendants. And then, and then I, what's, it was funny, there was this mom who had all these kids, it's like classic man-mom difference, Single guy flipping out because he didn't make his flight. And here's a mom with these kids running around. She's all sweet and nice and patient, like holding it all together. It was just mayhem in there. And now I started laughing to myself because I always think about the difference between knowing, believing, and trusting and experiencing something. The only way you will experience the love of Christ is if you risk and do something. If you want to experience the power of God in your life, turn something over to Him. Trust Him with it. Give it to Him. Stop holding on to things. The reason why there is a shallowness to our faith, one of the reasons, is we don't ever experience the love of God. We don't experience the power of God because we don't give anything to Him. We just say we do it, we keep our money to ourselves. We keep our time to ourselves. We keep our security to ourselves. We don't want to risk or grow. And so we don't experience. And these words encourage us to experience the love and power of God. 
to, to feel it, to understand it. The battle is real. The battle belongs to the Lord. The, the battle is strategic and it requires us to be thoughtful. It requires us to be dependent. And it gives us confidence and hope. The Christian life is sustained and, per and, and it's held together with perseverance. In the midst of all of these things, they're going to want to pull you off. They're going to want to distract you from Christ. And Paul says this, that real faith, sustaining faith, will persevere in the midst of it. We don't get to rest now. You have to persevere. You have to be alert. You have to be able to say no to the right, to the to the correct things and say yes to the correct things. Let me finish with going back to my Roman author from the 4th century. And there's something, there's something valuable here. And he says this, that discipline is what led to victory. If we live our lives following Christ, only when it's convenient, only when we feel like it, we will be shallow. We need habits of grace. You need disciplined habits to fill your life with joy, with grace, because we all blow it. We all make mistakes. We all need forgiveness. We all need to be renewed. Not one person here has it together, especially not me. We need habits of grace and renewal and love habits of remembering the gospel, habits of remembering that Christ died for you and that he loves you. And that the accusations that you're not worthy, that you're a failure, won't stick. A Puritan writer wrote something along the lines. He said this, that, that the, the enemy will not attack you with fangs, that he won't put holes in you. <clears throat> he will attack you with lies that touch your heart. And lies that have touched our heart go deep. You're not worthy. Those hurt. And the renewing grace of the gospel, the renewing hope of Jesus, gives us life. There's living water there. My hope this morning is that we would understand how much we are all loved by Christ and that we can live, leave here knowing that there's a battle. The moment we leave, there's a battle. But be of good cheer because Jesus has defeated Satan. That's, why, that's what he did on the cross. He defeated Satan. The, the battle is over. It's been decided. There are skirmishes along the way. Live in confidence. Live in trust of what Christ did on the cross, that he rose again, he's living now, and you can live with that resurrection power, that you can live with joy, you can live with a smile on your face because your trust in him, not in you. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for an alertness to our hearts, to our lives, to how we make choices, but I also pray that we would find our strength, our hope in you, that we would leave here this morning knowing that we are deeply loved and you give us power. You give us every resource we need to live life. You give us the ability to face the world with hope. 
that discouragement doesn't have to win, doesn't have to be our identity, that because of your love and your power, we can do it. Pray that your spirit would fill our hearts, our minds this morning to live confidently, depending fully on you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.